I think we implode. And that's, I think, what's behind the withdrawal is we don't want anyone to see that we're not succeeding or know that we're not succeeding. But also somewhere inside ourselves, we're kind of a one-trick pony. We just think, I'm going to fix this one day. I'm just going to hold tight, keep going, keep going, because I'm very good at keeping going. Even though I feel like shit, I can still keep going. And then one day I'll be able to fix it. Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome back to the High Performance Nursing Podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for your time. Today, I am fangirling here. <laughs> We've got an amazing guest, Dex Randall. Dex really doesn't need an introduction in the life coaching world, but I'm going to run through his bio and tell you all about him before we dive in and talk all things burnout. So Dex Randall coaches professionals from burnout to heart-centered leadership. Dex's career in corporate software development and leadership ended in burnout and a heart attack at 55. He recovered and spent the next five years perfecting techniques to coach others out of burnout quickly, reliably, and sustainably. Love that. With his proven step-by-step process to beat burnout, people start feeling better in three to four weeks. Guaranteed. Amazing. So Dex is, among many things, a life coach at the Life Coach School, obviously coaches on his own within burnout coaching, within his own practice. You're a master certified coach. What else can we add to your belt? Uh, coach instructor as well. As coach minute. instructor, that's correct. Absolutely. So I just completed the coach certification program that Dex teaches in and it's amazing. So Dex is like a celebrity to me. <laughs> so let's talk all things burnout because you do a lot of very important work in this space. And I'd love to kick off with what is burnout, who gets it and why? Thank you for the welcome and the introduction, Liam. It's great to be here talking with you. And before we jump in completely, can I just say it's nice to meet another local coach? Absolutely, yes. Sydney-based. Sydney-based. <laughs> We're like not me. in America. <laughs> not in America. Hello, all you Americans. So what was the question? What's burnout? What's right, burnout? So Tell us all the things. I think of burnout as really a level of stress and anxiety that becomes chronic, and it spills over into overwork and overwhelm, feelings of not performing the way you'd like to, not connecting with people the way you'd like to. It's an experience of disconnection. And I think disappointing, we disappoint ourselves. We stop being in our position of power. Mm. It's fundamentally how I see it. Yeah, amazing. I think that's why high performance nursing was born because I burnt out three times, right, as a nurse and a nurse leader that I'm aware of. And I think that it's so important for people to recognize that, you know, burnout itself is that emotional, physical stress component of the work that we do day to day. You work with a lot of healthcare professionals. How does that show up and like who commonly gets it in your work? Well, I think in healthcare professionals, as in other executives and professionals that I work with, it's a personality type, really. So we describe it as type A personality, which is very high achieving, high standards, hard driven, very focused people who just keep pushing and pushing to improve their career. And they climb the ladder typically very, very quickly. They're very hardworking and very highly incented to succeed. But that also means that they're very susceptible to stress and anxiety when things aren't working out. And also they're hyper autonomous. So they always want to fix their own problems. <laughs> I, feel I don't know if that relates with you, resonates <laughs> with you but it's certainly how I was in my burnout. Yeah, I worked yeah. in IT. I'm a software developer. 
uh, and software team leader from way back, I think the biggest characteristic of my burnout was hyper-autonomy. I just was so used to being able to fix every problem. That's who I was. Mm. You could bring anything to me and I'd sort it out. But I think mm. as well, it's worth looking at what are the signs that burnout might be impending? And one of those is overwork because we're terribly bad at saying no to things. We just keep taking more and more on our plate. And when we're under more stress, we take on even more work, paradoxically, mm. because mm. then we start seeing other people who might be overworked or overloaded and we start taking on their stuff too. We're terrible at delegating because we like fixing our own problems. When we're under pressure, we just take more and more and more on. And then I think we become extremely anxious often to the point of social withdrawal. We're not real happy about anything and we kind of go back into our shell a little bit and we're very, very irritable. Outside work, often our human relationships aren't going that sweetly. People are just annoying, frustrating, mm. irritating. We don't want to spend time with people, even, even our loved ones, even our you know, partners and families. We're just maxed out. We can't take on any more requests if you like on our time and energy because we're not sleeping very well by that time we're waking up in the morning in dread of going to work and we're just ruminating on the problems all day and what we think is going wrong yeah i think a lot of people listening are going to resonate with that deeply for sure so i think it is a common theme right within the healthcare industry especially nursing medicine where we are you know we are striving to deliver the best possible care for our patients and usually in that quest we end up negating our own needs and that seems to be hugely problematic and recurring i definitely feel seen about that that building your career and doing it very quickly and i think that will also resonate with people for sure so you mentioned a couple of things there but how do people recognize that they're in burnout if they're a clinician listening, how would they recognize that? Chronically exhausted, chronically stressed, chronically anxious. It never turns off. There's no off switch anymore. It's just depleted. Try and sleep. Don't sleep very well. Get up in the morning, still exhausted, leery, not wanting to deal with the problems of the day. But that's as soon as you open your eyes. It's mm. also kind of a compulsive activity quality. We just compulsively keep doing stuff as if we can somehow do enough to fix it, which we can't. And usually people in burnout compensate for that by trying even harder. So that's why we end up working more and more and more and more hours later in the night, earlier in the morning, skipping lunch, skipping family time, skipping everything. We end up with just work in our heads because we're still trying to get over the problem we're having by working harder. That's a real marker. I think we implode. And that's, I think, what's behind the withdrawal is we don't want anyone to see that we're not succeeding or know that we're not succeeding, but also somewhere inside ourselves, we're kind of a one-trick pony. We just think, I'm going to fix this one day. I'm just going to hold tight, keep going, keep going, because I'm very good at keeping going. Even though I feel like shit, I can still keep going, and then one day I'll be able to fix it. It's that kind of gritting of the teeth and just smashing ahead and not looking after ourselves at all in that. Like, no, I can do it. Even if I feel terrible, I can still do it instead of going, okay, what do I need in order to come back into balance and do the appropriate amount of work? It's interesting that you say that there because I feel like a lot of us feel like by doing more, we will fix the issues that we have. And, and why does that not work? Because what gets us into burnout won't get us out. That's how we got into burnout, mm. doing too much, trying too hard to please people and be all the things and do all the things. That's mm. how we get into burnout, by efforting our way through life particularly when we're under pressure. All our energy is going outwards. There's nothing left over just to look after ourselves, to mm. actually rest and switch our brains on and mm. recuperate and repair. But I think this is also indicative of a lot of the people who come to me who are type A are very 
altruistic people. They're in a vocation, they're givers. They want to support other people. And so the instinct is always to keep supporting others at our own cost. Mm. Sometimes this is described as, as what women in those kinds of positions do, but men also do it. Most of the men who come to me, their biggest worry is that they're letting people down. But what they really mean is they're letting themselves down. So that must mean that other people are feeling let down too. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it? I'm curious what your thoughts are on the external world being the issue, because I think a lot of nurses, you know, I work with nurses, we always say, well, it's low staffing, you know, it's shortages, it's it's the culture, it's high workloads. How much does that play a part in burnout? Or is it purely personality or is it a mixture of the two? There are external and internal factors. So yeah, it's personality predisposes us to it. But I think, yes, the external factors in almost everybody's job healthcare and non-healthcare have tightened and tightened and tightened as kind of economic conditions, capitalism, whatever you want to call it, has tightened and tightened the demands placed on us. And also the amount of red tape has gone through the roof, the amount of admin work that we have to do. So yes, there are external conditions. And yes, we can perceive that those may have become more challenging over the years because most people in their careers have watched them become more and more difficult and less and less, for example, patients entered, less and less time with the patient. So yes, the external conditions play their part and also the culture of an organization plays a part. But I think when people can learn skills to survive the conditions of work by choosing a different MO, choosing a different relationship with them. And I think one of the fundamental things that supports us in getting through burnout, even in a challenging environment, or what we might think of as a difficult system, a system that's to blame, it's the disconnection that makes it the hardest. We're depersonalized. And we're not feeling that reward and that fulfillment, that appreciation, recognition for our efforts that would keep us more on the equilibrium when we're giving at that level. So I think there's a two-pronged thing. We, we can learn to take conditions a little bit more lightly, and we can also learn to look after ourselves. that raises the self-protection and raises the resilience to whatever the system is and stops trying to fix it by throwing more effort. Because energy is what we have none left of. And we can't keep throwing energy at the problem because we'll become very sick. So I think although the conditions have become more difficult, there are still ways that I teach people to thrive under the same conditions by pulling back just enough, still doing their job, pulling back just enough to care for themselves and reward themselves and be there for themselves in a way that they previously haven't really got at the level that they that would have been supporting. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, I guess my question from that is, is it about prevention of burnout or is it about experiencing burnout? Because I kind of almost feel like in healthcare, burnout is inevitable. And the way that we're kind of trained, the way, the way we're socialized, the way we're brought into the industry, and we have that altruistic personality. So is it a case of like, we just have to experience it and then we develop the skills or do we develop them ahead of time? Do you want to feel better as a nurse, learn how to manage your negative self-talk, improve your confidence, prevent and reduce burnout, and build your nursing career on your terms? If I'm hearing a big fat yes, our high-performance nursing membership is 
perfect for you. Come and join me and our amazing community of high performance nursing members every week for live life and career changing coaching and access to so much more within our community. Our goal is to help you rekindle your love with yourself and your passion for nursing. You can join us at liamcaswell.com forward slash HPNM. Come and join the community today and let's build that nursing career on your terms. Yeah, good question. It can work either way. In fact, the tools that I teach, you could use before burnout or in burnout. So the same tools prevent burnout as will help people out of burnout and help it from, stop it from recurring. So the work I do really is to help people to come back to a place where they can really, really enjoy their career. And it seems inconceivable to a person in burnout. <laughs> totally. They just want to hide under the bed forever, you know? And they never want to go back to this system, which is punishing them. But I do work with a lot of people in healthcare. I work with nurses and doctors and so on. And it is possible to thrive and it's possible to come back to that passion. So I teach people tools to handle the external conditions in a more constructive way. And that works as a preventative, which is beautiful. I'd love to prevent burnout in people. And it works as a cure for burnout and it stops burnout coming back later. Yeah, I think that's so valuable in the industry. And I think that what I hear and see a lot amongst my colleagues is that reactive approach, right? Like we get to the point where we're burnt out, we're misaligned, we're not living the life that we want to be living. And then all of a sudden we have that kind of aha moment and we've got to do something about it. And that's when the work starts. And I love that idea of introducing that earlier on. I would love to see it in universities. I'm sure you'd love to see university schools so that people have... I call it the missing semester of life in university where they can really tap into these resources and set themselves up for success. Because I truly believe like if I had all of the tools that you're talking about and the tools that I've learned through my experiences to this point as a nurse, that I'd still be in the industry. And I kind of feel really compelled to help people see that they can stay, they can choose to love their job again and have the tools to be able to do that rather than feeling like they're at a loss and that their career is over. And that because when you're in burnout, it's dark, right? It's a very, very dark place. And there is no way out. You can't see it for sure. Mm, absolutely. And I think in burnout, it does seem helpless, hopeless. It's a land of total frustration and despair with no energy to do anything about it. And in that way, I think the experience of burnout is actually a lot like depression. Because depression, and I've experienced both, so I can compare mm. them. They're not the same. But depression tells you you can't fix it. It's never going to end. It's always going to be this way. Nothing better can happen than this. And I think burnout finally is the same. And it is because we're so, so exhausted and so entrenched in burnout, nothing else seems possible. But that's why I offer to bring people out of burnout in three to four weeks, because then people need to have hope. But if I think of bringing people back to buoyancy, so from burnout mm. to buoyancy, which is getting a smile back on their face, getting a bit of fuel in the tank and helping them feel good about their job again. But I think after that, there's a whole nother level to go to where people can really super engage with the passion they brought into healthcare in the first place and really give a massive contribution with much less human cost to them. Mm. And, and that's the really rewarding and fulfilling part. Mm not mm. just coming out of burnout. And if anybody is listening to this and they are in burnout, they're going to go, yeah, right. Because <laughs> that's what I would have said when I was in burnout. I didn't know yeah. what to do with myself. It did seem utterly, utterly hopeless. 
Yeah. And I, a lot more what, is available. That's not an accurate picture of reality. It's yeah. only a picture of your experience in reality, not reality itself. Mm. And it's an experience. We're experiencing that because we have we like the tools, right? That's would you say that's fair? Like it's just purely based on the fact that we like the tools to be able to manage the complexities that are occurring in our day-to-day work life and then being able to take that home because healthcare is full of polarities, right? Like one minute it's really high and like, you know, you may be at a birth and it's really exciting. Then the next minute you could be at something really tragic. How do you manage that influx and that flow of emotions, the thoughts that come with all of that? It's really taxing on a clinician. And I think it's kind of irresponsible for the industry to, to believe that we can just manage that without all of these tools, right? Yeah, I think as well, clinicians are by and large taught to keep their emotions to themselves because they're not welcome at work. Mm. Well, hello, because you have to be as kind of at the top end of human experience, the fullness and the richness and all the ups and downs of human experience. If you're not engaged in that, you're going to make being, it's going to make being a clinician very difficult. Mm. So I think that, you know, nurse training and physician training is such a challenge when we're told to shut all that stuff down. And you said the missing trimester a minute ago of learning skills to manage all of this. And I think if they taught these skills in school, well, then we would all be equipped, wouldn't we? Mm. To have the full human experience without trying to obliterate and hide bits of it, the ability to manage our full range of emotions, our full range of thoughts, the ability to protect and nurture ourselves the ability not to listen to someone else telling us we're wrong and think that that's the truth. There's a lot of self-protective skills and connecting skills that we could learn in schools that would equip all of us to do this. Mm. And I think we're painted a lot in a lot of professions. I mean, law, accountancy, you name it, there's a whole bunch of other professions that are the same. They teach us to leave our emotions at home, which is quite clearly 100% impossible. So mm. we just dissociate and disown them. At our cost, at a cost to our physical and mental health, which is, I think, what's really happening here. Burnout's a a disease of disconnection, but it's it's disconnection from others, but it's disconnection from our humanity and our relationship with ourselves primarily, Mm. because that's the way you've been taught in Western culture. I, I find it regrettable. Yeah, it's so fascinating, isn't it? And I think that I look around clinical world and I see this and I just see the impact that it has on us and that we are giving away all of our power, right? Like the minute that we choose not to have that full human experience, the emotions, the thoughts, we give all our power away to the industry and it strips us of being able to connect to our patients. And I think that that's why we all come into the job is to be able to connect with our patients, our families, and to be able to deliver the best care. So that's so, so interesting. I'd love to ask about, you talked about getting from burnout to buoyancy. What does that look like? Because there's going to be a lot of people listening, right? They're like, yeah, for sure. Three to four weeks. I don't think that's possible. So tell us how that is possible. Like having been through it myself, I wish I found you at the time because I definitely could have done that in shorter period of time. But uh, talk us through what that looks like. I wish I'd had this when I hit burnout as well, (laughs) because I had no idea who to turn to. Nobody seemed to know. And I think to be fair, even now, a lot of what people are offering to fix burnout doesn't actually work. It's all a bit words and stuff and tokenism and a lot of it I see not working very well. But so here, what I do is I work with people for an extended period of time because I want to take them way beyond buoyancy. I want to take them to super achieving and having lots of fun again and being energized and all that. But the path out of burnout, I have a six-week curriculum that I run and it takes people through kind of the headliners that are losing the most energy and 
equilibrium resilience. And so my kind of hit list is anxiety, overwork, overwhelm and procrastination, perfectionism, people pleasing, what other people think about us. Kind of that's my headliner set. Mm. What I find is pretty early in the piece, when I teach people that the way they're seeing the world is not the world in those areas and that they can afford to retract some of their energy from those areas of worry, it's generally speaking, it's, it's a perspective that they haven't encountered before and it can become very refreshing. And I also let them know right from day one that I have full belief in their recovery and I have full belief in them as marvelous, wonderful, perfect human beings. They're just a bit suppressed in burnout, but I believe in them completely. And I don't think many of us receive that in life. And I think it's very, very important because these are really, really good people mm-hmm. struggling with trying to live a life in the in a way that's not, well, it's not fully human. It, humans can't thrive under the conditions we've just been talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the power of coaching, hey, and that's why, you know, I chose to become a coach is mm. helping people to see and just look through a different lens at the things that they're going through. And I love that. What do you mean by, just for the people listening, I've talked about this a lot, but what do you mean by the story that you tell, you know, is not necessarily factual or true? Like that's that's not reality. Well, one of the things that most of us tell ourselves in burnout is that we're not performing well enough. Maybe our jobs are in jeopardy. Maybe see people are saying bad things about us. Maybe we're going to get the sack. Why can't I get through my workload? Everybody else is. Why don't why aren't I getting all my mm. notes and admin done? Everybody else is. Why can't I do this? Why am I performing so terribly? It's a condition of self-disappointment that we reinforce all of the time by only focusing our mind on the things that we think we're not doing properly or well enough. But that's confirmation bias. It's really teaching our brain to only look for stuff we're doing wrong. We never notice the thousands of things we're doing each day that are terrific, Mm. where we still are showing up, in this case for the patients, where we're still getting through our workload, when we're still keeping up with some of the admin side, where we're supporting our peers, where we're going beyond the, you know, above and beyond the call. Really, we don't notice that. Mm -hmm. We don't mm. notice that at all. And so I think it's a lot of it is just about questioning all of the things we're telling ourselves about the way we're supposedly falling down on the job, not getting stuff done. Mm. And what's actually happening is separating a bit of reality from the mean way we're talking to ourselves mm. about it. Yeah. So once you take away that meanness and start noticing the good, just those tiny little moments like, you're under load, somebody wants you, and you look at a patient and you smile at them. That instant has changed that patient's day, mm. even if you do nothing else. And it comes from such a good place. We've forgotten we've got a good place to come mm. from, mm. but it's still there. Yeah, I love that. It is the small things, hey, and it, I love the concept of giving equal airtime to the good and the bad or the, the quote unquote bad. I think that that's so important because you're right. We do focus on all the things that we've tripped up on. We haven't done enough of. And as clinicians, every day there are small micro moments, even brushing somebody's hair, getting them a cup of tea, getting them a biscuit, you know, a sandwich. Those small things really do change people's day and they have a long lasting impact. And it's so, so powerful. And we really need to get into our practice of seeing those moments as well for ourselves and not just like we're giving to someone else that we're actually doing that for us as well right and we're meeting our own needs in that process in terms of burnout for men and women is it the same experience for men and women 
in your experience? Tell us more. the short <laughs> If there are any women listening who are experiencing burnout, the Nagoski sisters wrote a book called Burnout, and it's very much about the female experience of burnout, which I think is different, and it's probably very different in healthcare because they talk about human giver syndrome in the book, which is I'm going to look after every single other human ahead of myself, which is typically a, a more female-based role and how females have perhaps learned to be around their families and around others and around their menfolk in a patriarchal society. It talks mm. about patriarchy a lot. Now, I think men and women all suffer from the patriarchy, but I think there's a, certainly a specific part of that where women feel as if they're expected to do every single thing for every single person every single time they're asked ahead of whatever their own personal needs may be. And that certainly is easy to manifest that demeanor, if you like, that attitude in nursing where the demands will always meet what you're able to do and probably exceed them. So, mm. yes, I think the experience is diff different. And I think women are taught to think about themselves in a different way. And I think that that's the basis of it. Whereas men, men who come to me more likely than not are feeling like they're not supporting their families well enough. They're not being the rock of the family, they're not being the solid income earner, they're not providing the education for their kids, or they're not being present in ways that they think a father should, or a husband should, typically. And that weight of this masculine role model is weighing very, very heavily on them if they feel they can't meet it. So I think, yes, it is gender. Yeah, it's mm. so interesting. Obviously, we have a lot of female listeners yeah. and women in nursing, for sure. But we also have a, a small portion of men that listen. So that's fascinating. I'm curious, because a lot of us kind of me personally, like I shamed my burnout, you know, I was really like shameful of it. And I'm curious, like, how do we manage that stigma that we attach to burnout? Because like I said earlier, like, I feel like it is something that we inevitably will experience at some point without the tools. So, so then what, like, what does that look like? And how do we manage that stigma? Love that question because shame underpins all burnout and it is something that most of us would avoid like the plague. But if you think about it, type A personality, perfectionism, people pleasing is all set up to avoid judgment. We're very, very scared of not performing at the topmost level to avoid people judging us or saying nasty things about us or not accepting us, rejecting us. So a lot of our behaviors, are, our hab habitual behaviors, if you like, are seeking approval. Mm. So the reason we seek approval as adults is we didn't really get enough as kids, usually. It was conditional approval. I'll give you approval if you ace your exams. I'll give you approval if you're the ducks. I'll give you approval if you succeed at sports or whatever. There's, generally speaking, that's in the back of it. So we become super performers to gain the, up, you know, in an mm. archetypal version, to gain the approval of our parents. And then we just keep doing that forever because we want to avoid the shame of failure defeat rejection we want to be pristine on the surface to gain that affection so we feel completely ashamed if we're not able to meet that expectation of perfection so shame is a really deep thread running through everybody's burnout and i think it's a, a thread that most people aren't willing to talk about and i had it so badly mm. when i hit burnout in my career as a software leader, I was working for a, a startup at the end and I couldn't acquit myself of my responsibilities at that point. And I would have, what I really wanted to do is go home and crawl under the bed and nobody to know about it. So I was so, so ashamed that I couldn't fulfill my duty. And, you know, it's in that situation. Again, it's a bit like depression where you think, mm. well, if only I had an accident, I was going to be in hospital for a couple of months because then nobody would see me. 
Mm. And I think shame is just a natural response then to the kind of upbringing you've had. So it's a natural and normal process that I help every client with. I had a, a client recently came on and he was having so many panic attacks that he couldn't show up for work. Mm. And he'd been put on sick leave. And he was tormented by shame, absolutely tormented. So we worked through that together because shame is different from guilt, isn't it? Guilt is mm -hmm. I've done something wrong. Oops, my bad. Shame is I am something wrong and it's not fixable. That's mm. the story we get from shame. So it seems like a life sentence. But shame is not the truth. Again, it's, it's a perception. And I think it's very, very important to explicitly work with shame in burnout and diffuse the shame in burnout and uncover the marvelous true nature of the human who is suffering from shame in burnout. And that the guy I just referred to who's having a panic attack, actually he was a CFO, he's an accountant. And he's come, he has just blossomed. Once he's come out of burnout, he's come back to his power and his resilience. He's got a much more nurturing and kind relationship with himself and he's just gone off he's one of the ones who's gone off the charts in success after after bouncing back from burnout mm -hmm. he was so deep in shame he, he struggled to meet my eye at the beginning so i think it's a super good question and if anybody listening is suffering from shame please know if you're experiencing chronic stress chronic overwork burnout like conditions then shame comes with the territory it's not the truth of who you are it's never the truth of who you are and it is possible to work with shame until you bring it down and down and down and down. And finally, it disappears. Not permanently disappears, mm. but undetectable yeah. levels, which is where I think it's so beautiful working with people. And they can come back to that place and re-engage with their passion and their joy of living. Mm. Who has joy of living in burnout? Yeah, I love that so much. So re-engage with their people too yeah. and start having rewarding relationships yeah, totally. When people overcome burnout, I'm curious, like a lot of people think that maybe they're never going to experience it again. What's been your take on that or your experience in working with clients? Mm, burnout is cyclical in my experience. So here's how I see it. So we're high achievers and we go up a curve in our career, hammer and tongues all the way, lots of qualifications, lots of experience, lots of great jobs, massive, massive success. And we go up and up this career curve of success until we hit burnout, usually burnout is, it can be chronic exhaustion from chronic overwork, but it can also be an incident outside work where we suddenly realize we're not invincible anymore. And, and it crashes who we think we are. And then sometimes going up this curve, we, we kind of hit this roadblock and suddenly we can't fix a problem. And that is very, very difficult. And sometimes we go into burnout from that, or it can be just chronic overwork over time. Mm. But whatever it is, we kind of top out on our career, typically. So once we've had burnout once, the attributes and behaviors and habits we have will probably take us back into burnout again after we recover. Because the burnout's coming from inside. It's coming mm. from our response to the world, not from how difficult the world is. So typically it's, it's repeating. It's degenerative. It worsens over time. The episodes of burnout will become more frequent. They'll become mm. worse. We'll become physically ill because we're not sleeping. We're not nourishing ourselves. We can't digest food and all that. So typically it goes, the career goes up a big path. It hits burnout. It starts going down the other side. And then the more energy we throw at it, the worse it gets, not the better. We can't fix it by efforting. So the more we effort when we're exhausted, the worse it goes downhill. So my concern for people in burnout is they will create 
same experience again, even if they recover once, unless they learn the skills that they'll learn in coaching, which is how to protect themselves and look after themselves as a baseline. You've got to look after the asset. You can't go back to work without protecting the asset. And the asset's you. So I, I teach people the skills to come out of burnout and stay out of burnout forever. Like if I ask my people, are you going to go back into burnout again? Mm -hmm. No, they'll need to. Different person now. Yeah. I love that. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. Hey, I love that idea of protecting the asset and you are the asset. For me, that whole cycle you just talked about is my story for sure. And I think everybody listening will resonate with that immensely. For me, it was a manager just um, saying no to me. You know, for the first time in my career, they said, no, you're not good enough for this job. Like they didn't say that. That's what I made up in my mind. But they, took, <laughs> they said, no, you're not getting the job. And that was the trigger for me. Right. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And I went on this spiral and everything you've talked about today, like was my complete experience of burnout for sure. Yeah, because that took a hit on your invincibility, right? Yeah. Up until that point, I like there was no stopping me. You know, I was on track and it just took that little thing. And it and it's so funny because I look back now and we talk about this in the podcast a lot about like, don't judge your burnout. You know, if you've experienced it, like how can you use it as a catalyst for growth? And how, that's a very type A way to look at it. But how can you use it for a catalyst for your growth to move forward? Because I truly believe that if I had not experienced burnout, I wouldn't be here today doing the work that I do with the impact that I have in being a coach and helping people within their careers as a nurse. So although it was uncomfortable going through all of that and processing, that was so important for me to be where I am today. And I think that that's a great message for clinicians to hear and to take is that, you know, it is inevitable and it's part of the process. If we have the tools, we can manage it and then never have to go back there again in the future. Yeah, I do see it as an occupational hazard of many professions. If we're type A in a certain profession where overwork is expected, we're setting ourselves up for burnout, but I don't think we need to go back to it. And I think that resilience that we generate can be lifelong resilience as well as enjoyment and passion and fulfillment and reward and all those things that have gone missing. I think we get to have those and keep them, but I think really they come from not going back and over-efforting in the way that we did before. They come from a, from a maturity of contribution. We see the value we're naturally a, capable of giving, and we give that value at a higher level, but with a less mm. cost. So I think we, that's why we go on to achieve even more later, is because we're fully capable of that, as long as we're not punching ourselves in the head at the same time. Totally. Yeah, it's phenomenal. That's so interesting. I love that concept so much. Dex, thank you so much for your time. We could talk forever, but I'm conscious of your time. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Where can people learn more about you? Well, they can just go to dexrandall.com. Awesome. That's a perfect. And you're on social at Coach Dex Randall, and there's lots of things, but dexrandall.com is a place to be. Yeah, and that's where my podcast is. My podcast got a lot of really practical tips. So if people are listening here and they want practical tips to help with anxiety, overwork, overwhelm, and all of that. Don't listen to the podcast episodes because they're kind of practical. Awesome. And it's Burnout to Leadership, isn't it, the podcast? Burnout to Leadership. Yep. It's at burnouttoleadership.com or it's Amazing. on my, it's on my website. And it's everywhere. That's all podcasts. It's everywhere, huh? yeah. <laughs> for sure. Dex, thank you so much for your time. If you want burnout support, reach out to Dex. And we'll see you in the next episode. Stay safe and stay forever curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come and check out our High Performance Nursing Membership, my monthly coaching program where we take what we teach in this podcast and we take it to the next level to help you thrive as a high performance human and a nurse. Join us at liamcaswell.com forward slash HPNM. I would love to see you in there. I'll see you in coaching. <laughs>